0: Please turn with me in the scriptures to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses. Isaiah chapter 40. Please join with me in prayer. Lord God, come before thee once again, O Lord, as but a man charged with an impossible task to preach thy word, to proclaim thy glory to people who also are but men. Please, Lord, help us to hear thy word, We ask, Holy Spirit, thou wouldst teach us, thou wouldst apply it to our hearts, thou wouldst lead us into all righteousness and truth, O God. Lord, that we might see something of Jesus. Leave us not here, send us not on a fool's errand, O God. But please, comfort thy people. Teach thy people. Jesus, that we might see Thee. We might have something more of Thee. What we have had until this point of Thy glory, O God, of communion with Thee, of knowledge of Thee, is is insufficient to carry us through. We cannot have yesterday's manna, last Lord's Day's manna, but we need fresh manna. And we come out of the camp now To gather that manna at the preaching of thy word. If thou be not with us now in this place, O God, by the power of thy spirit moving among us at the preaching of thy word, we have no hope of benefiting anything from the preaching. What a good place it is to be dependent upon Thee, O God. What a solemn, solemn mount we come to. When the only place we can place our hope is in Thee. Is in Thee. Wherever we look now, O God, we have no reason to hope in temporal realities, temporal institutions, ourselves, the flesh, the world. But we can see more clearly at this time, O God, that thou, our Jesus, our Savior, art our only hope. Give us faith now. Increase it. Multiply it pressed down and shaken together, may it overflow. Holy Spirit, please. Please, my Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 40. First 11 verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Comfort ye. Comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with Strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. As far the reading of God's word. Dear congregation, chapter 39. And up till this chapter in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah is prophesying. Proclaiming God's coming judgment on the unfaithful nation of Israel. His covenant people had broken covenant with their God. Time and time again. And now, the time of destruction is upon them. Chapter 39. Isaiah's prophecy ends with destruction is coming. King Hezekiah Begins to brag to the Babylonian visitors. Look how much we have. Look how great my kingdom is. Look how glorious all of my things. Isaiah says, how much did you show them? And he says, I showed them all that is in mine house. And what does he say? Verse 6 of chapter 39. Behold the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, there shall be peace and truth in my days. Hezekiah would live out the remainder of his days. He would not see this coming destruction, but upon his sons would be it. So, too, now, and our nation, we are living as those sons of Hezekiah. Our forefathers in the faith in this country abandoned the gospel, abandoned society abandoned their witness to Jesus Christ and allowed the wicked to plunder them. They said, we'll leave out the days; our days in peace, but our children and our children's children shall be carried captive. And we are those captives. We are those captives. Isaiah now, chapter 40, begins what Isaiah is so famous for. The servant songs, the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God's covenant promises fulfilled and proclaimed and prophesied. So though death and destruction was upon them, He gives hope. And this teaches us, dear congregation, that words of conviction. Words of rebuke should always be followed with words of consolation and comfort to one another and to the lost. And that we preach the law, but then we immediately follow it with the gospel. The gospel. The ramparts are down. The walls are fallen. The city of God is taken over by its enemies. The church in America now dwells with its invaders. Even inside the church. Not only are we met from without, but from within. Uprisings. Traitors. Not only is the food, the bread, meaning the solid preaching of the word of God, In low supply, it's also in low demand. The church is desiring, here in America, false comfort, and is offering false comfort. But Isaiah's point to Hezekiah and to Israel is that there is comfort to be had. And so too for us in this time, dear congregation, in this nation, when from without... And from within, many of us are struggling with anxiety, sadness. That there is comfort in the gospel. The gospel must always, the gospel must always be foundational, primary, and thoroughly and loudly cried aloud to us. For we have no other hope. We will look at three points in our text. The first point is covenant comfort. The second point, covenant conviction. And the third point, covenant consummation, i.e. God himself. Our first point, covenant comfort, verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. These are the words of Isaiah. That Isaiah is to speak. This is what the Lord tells him to speak. So even on the cusp of destruction, destitution, captivity, Yet, he says, there is hope. There is comfort coming. There is comfort coming. So to all ministers of the gospel must loudly proclaim comfort. We are comforters who offer true comfort. So many of the churches now are offering false comfort. If we just had racial reconciliation, we would have comfort. Whatever that means. Whatever that looks like. If we just had things... We would have comfort. Anything else outside of the true comfort that comes from our covenant God that is based in covenant doctrine and covenant realities is false comfort. Including having a nation that functions correctly. That's false comfort in and of itself. That is a a comfort. A nice bed to sleep in is comfort. A wonderful house provided to us from the Lord is comfort. A government that protects what is righteous is comfort. But the comfort, covenant comfort, is true comfort. And putting hope in anything else is false comfort. Remember in Isaiah also. He chides, the Lord chides and rebukes the prophets and the leaders of the people who are speaking, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Oftentimes, there being no peace doesn't appear so until it's too late. Meaning before you know it, you are overrun. We all know that famous Greek tragedy and story, the Trojan horse. That is a great military tactic. And Satan is a great military leader. He operates from the inside. He invades, he infiltrates, saying, Peace, peace, a gift, comfort, when there is none, only to destroy from the inside out. But we must have covenant comfort. The reason Isaiah could cry comfort and the reason the Lord told him to cry comfort is because there is comfort in the gospel, the coming Messiah. If you go to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 1, Paul writing to the Corinthians who were going through all sorts of Terrible trial says in verse 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. So if we don't have the covenant comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have no comfort in ourselves and none to give others. If we pat each other on the back and say things are going to be okay, just wait. If we could just get this or that thing done in this nation or in denominations, in churches, what have you, then we would have comfort. No, true comfort and only comfort comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can offer. Peace, reconciliation with God, from that foundation flows anything and everything else, only To substitute it is heresy. To substitute it is to have no comfort. To have no comfort whatsoever. Comfort. Comfort, my people, is Isaiah's call. That's his mandate. If we want to comfort others in their afflictions, we must have the gospel. They must be united with covenant comfort that comes from God alone. A soul that is cast down and destitute in its sins will find great comfort and reassurance knowing that, in spite of its rebellion, in spite of its sin, in spite of his hatred for God, God has overcome, conquered, and redeemed him. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is now united. There is nothing else that gives us more comfort. There's nothing else that can cause us to die assured of who we are. Heidelberg 1. What is thy only comfort in life and death? That I, with all my mind, heart, soul, and strength, my body, my soul, my life, belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's comfort. And this is the comfort that Isaiah is told to talk about. Covenant comfort. in the coming Messiah. In verse 2, he says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, literally, and in the margin, our margin says, to the heart. Speak to the heart, to Jerusalem, and cry unto her, that her warfare, or time of striving, is accomplished. That her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What is the comfort here? Is the comfort, don't worry, Cyrus will go away. Babylon won't be able to take you guys. He he won't conquer Jerusalem. You'll be safe. Politically. You'll be safe as a nation. Your children will be safe. They can go to school. No. That's not the comfort he gives, is it? But the comfort he gives is this. The time of your striving will come to an end. And your iniquity will be pardoned. Your sin will be pardoned. And done away with. If all we make is moral people... We do nothing. The church is not an ethics center. The church is not a place to make nice people. The church is the body of Christ on earth, reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And it proclaims that one and only message of salvation through Christ, that iniquity can be pardoned. And look, notice, he says... For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double for all her sins. There's a few way commentators take that phrase. Either that God heaped up judgment, and now he's restraining his hand and and stepping back. But more likely in this context, that reading means that for your sin, not only have you been punished for sin in the past, but now that punishment pales in comparison to the grace that you have received. Remember, John chapter 1, that of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace, heaped up grace, grace, more grace. In our sin, grace abounds. But Paul says that we should cease from sinning. That's not a reason to keep on sinning, but to live out of gratitude to God, to live out of gratitude to our Savior, to worship him. And turn and flee from sin. That's true comfort. That's true Christian living. Not making new laws, edicts, weeding out the wicked. That's what we want to do as well. But if we don't start with the gospel, we will never accomplish any of that. This is where Israel went wrong. Their nation crumbled because they left off the gospel. They left off serving their God. They broke covenant. So the covenant comfort that we have needs to be remembered that it's covenant comfort the covenant of grace the covenant of the mediator the new covenant that we are christ and he is ours jeremiah 31 i make a new covenant wherein the law is written on our heart the law is written on our heart we are renewed we're born again we're made new creations in christ that is comfort. Secondly, covenant conversion. Covenant conversion. That will take us to verse 8 from 3. Verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked "'shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, "'and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, "'and all flesh shall see it together. "'For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. "'The voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? "'All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof "'is as the flower of the field. "'The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, "'because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. "'Surely the people is grass. "'The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, "'but the word of our God shall stand forever.'" Covenant conversion. Where have we seen this quote in the New Testament? John the Baptist. He was the one who prepared the way for the Messiah. He was the one that when the time was fulfilled, when the seed of the woman would appear to crush the serpent's head, he prepared the way in the nation of Israel. Preparing their hearts, preaching repentance. A baptism of repentance. A baptism of turning away from Sin coming back into covenant with God, because here comes your Redeemer. Here comes your Redeemer. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. So this is a call to action for us as believers, and to non-believers. We are to cultivate the soil of those we speak to who are not Christian, and in our own hearts daily, to make way for the King to enter in, for our Savior to enter in. So what are some things that are required It lays it out. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Make a clean path, a straight path, laying aside and moving aside all things that we might have Christ alone. And as believers, we can take away from that that daily we need to continue to move away from the flesh, move away from worldly concerns, worldly anxieties, worldly troubles, worldly joys, and focus more and more and more on Jesus Christ, who is our comfort, who comforteth us in all of our sufferings, afflictions. But a few things must be done in a non believer and in a believer daily for this to take place. Verse 4: every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. So, these two things: valley. There's people who are so weighed down with a sense of their sin so unbalanced in viewing their sin and their wickedness that they won't come to Christ. Even believers who daily, I deserve nothing, I deserve dirt, I'm wicked, I'm sinful. In fact, that is pride itself. Because you're refusing to come to God. You think your sin is too bad for God. You think your sin is unredeemable. That Christ can't pay for it. That his sacrifice is not sufficient. That though his blood is powerful for others, it cannot be powerful for you. And that is pride. That is a greater sin in itself than any other sin you think you're dealing with. But he says this, that in proclaiming Isaiah, in proclaiming John the Baptist, in your proclamation, dear pastor, in your evangelizing, dear believer, remember that when you come to those who are downcast, trodden down, feeling the weight of their sin, that those people need to be lifted up and shown the love of God in Christ Jesus and what he has done and what he offers to them. Come to me, ye who are weary and burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the word that we should be speaking to them, to bring them up from being destitute in a view of their own sin into, in, unto being elated at a vision of Jesus Christ as Savior of their sins. But what about those that are high? The mountains and the hills. Pride. Haughty. Even Christians struggle with this. I know I need Jesus. I'm a Christian. But I can handle these things myself. I'll worry and have anxiety and, and have pride over this or that situation because I alone can fix it. I know God's there. I'll pray about it briefly. But I need to fix this. There's something I can do about this issue. I can bring many things to God, and okay, God, yeah, you know this is going on, but what do I need to do to fix this? We all have a tendency to do this. And there's even many Christians, and especially non believers, that think they're good in themselves. Their good works, their good deeds, their morality, their ethic is sufficient. I've even heard of believers who say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to to have a word or two with God. I'm going to have a word or two with God. No, you won't. No, you won't. He's incomprehensible in glory. He's holy. He's righteous. No one determines who God is. God is God. He does as he pleaseth. The nations are a drop in a bucket before him, and yet you will come before him and hold him to account with your morality, your ethic. Those hills, those wicked mounts, must be laid low. And we do that through the preaching of the law to unbelievers and to ourselves, realizing that you can do nothing. Nothing. You have nothing to offer. No strength, no power. You cannot do any situation on your own. You cannot handle any problem on your own. Especially if you're a Christian, you have power beyond all power on your side. A God who loves you, who has saved you and redeemed you in the blood of his own precious son and purchased you and bought you. He who did not spare his own son, shall he not also give us all things with him? Of course he will. So we must come to him. So those hills and those valleys in our life must be laid low. And the non-believers must be laid low. It must be shown the blackness of their sin before they can see the stars of shining glory that is Jesus Christ. He continues, And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Then the path is made wide open and straight to our heart. prepare the way in the unsaved and in our own hearts that Christ has a straight and direct path to the heart of man because every other supposed blockade every other supposed sin pride has been decimated and made straight for him to come in 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Again, remember the context. Isaiah prophesying of the Messiah. John the Baptist then comes, and this is quoted about him. This is John the Baptist. This was fulfilled in him. That at that time, Israel was the only nation to whom God had covenanted with. Gentiles, non-Jews, who wanted to come in and become part of the people of God, they were free to do so, but it was not an evangelistic religion. It was not an open covenant. But it would be. That not only would he be Israel's God, but when the Messiah came, when Christ came, the way would be made open for all nations to see the glory of God. And that is what John the Baptist prepared the way for. That he shall baptize the nation's In fire and with the Holy Spirit, that Christ is coming. The dispensation we live in, of the covenant of grace, is far greater than any other before. Any other before. That any of us here could even come into being true Israel is an astounding grace beyond all comprehension. All comprehension. And yet, here we are. Because when the Messiah would come, the paths were made straight and level. Christ would be proclaimed. What did Jesus himself say when he came preaching? When John the Baptist was imprisoned after his baptism. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. To all. To all. All nations shall see his glory. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. Why? For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be done. More on that in verse 8. Verse 6. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth. The flower fadeth. Because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. So the same voice that is saying to comfort that is telling Isaiah and not only Isaiah but also all ministers and all Christians what our message is to be then tells him you must now cry cry aloud do not be ashamed i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god and the salvation for all who believe to the jew first and also to the greek cry aloud but we must ask, what is our message? What shall we say if we are to cry aloud? What is the word to be said? All flesh is grass, and the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. What does that all mean? That we should have no hope in the creature. No creature comforts, no creature hopes. Man cannot save us. No nation can redeem us. No nation can protect us. None of our works can save us. None of someone else's works can save us. And if all we have is a physical salvation, we have no salvation at all. And furthermore, that the flowers of the field of which man is part, the creature comforts, our delights in this life, cannot satisfy cannot save us can do nothing for us in the end as far as salvation goes because the spirit of the Lord blows upon it and as a fire consumeth it there but nothing so we must be in a constant examination of those things those flowers those trinkets of ours that we are putting our hope in and especially at this time A constant struggle of mine in this tumultuous age is I want this nation to go back to when it was Christian. I want to see the wicked done away with, destroyed before our eyes. I want Christ's banner to fly once again and for real this time. But that, if that is all we have, is a false comfort, a false salvation, a false Christ. It must be done in covenant, covenant conversion, covenant comfort, with a covenant God revealed to us in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Those flowers will be burned away. All trinkets, all creature comforts, and creature hopes. So don't put your hope in yourself what you can do in a certain situation to make things better. That's pride and faithlessness. Anxiety is faithlessness. Remember? Jesus. Sleeping on the stern of a boat in the Sea of Galilee. The waves begin crashing over. It seems that they are going to drown. And the disciples, his disciples, are panicked, ridden with anxiety. They go and wake the Lord Jesus Christ... Do you not care? Are you not concerned that we shall perish? We are perishing. He arises, calmly but sternly rebukes the sea and the winds, and all is calm. And what does he say to them? Why have you doubted, O ye of little faith? So anxiety is pride and faithlessness is pride and faithlessness. We must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when faith counts. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And what an easy day it is to be anxious. Because not only do we have our own things we are struggling with, sick family members, tragedies in our life, but on top of that, the church is all but apostate at this point, it seems. God always has his remnant. But by and large, the American church is nowhere to be found. Just heresy. Just faithlessness. Our nation is being run by corrupt, evil, wicked people who are undoing the very fabric and core of who we are as a nation. But for a Christian, no matter. Faith in God. Preaching the gospel, covenant comfort and covenant conviction will win the day. Christ alone. Verse 8, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth. So again, worldly creature comforts, worldly things, nations, prosperity, institutions, governments, church denominations, money in the bank, nothing. But what does he say? But the word of our God shall stand Forever. Did you know, dear congregation, that this existed before you were born? And before our grandfather was born. And our grandfather's grandfather was born. For thousands of years, this book has stood. God's word has remained. The flower fades. The nations are undone. Napoleon... Hitler. The Roman Empire. The Byzantine Empire. The Egyptian Empire. Alexander the Great. This was there before them and is still here after them. And it shall be here long after this country is reduced to ash. Until it becomes whatever new country it becomes someday. They'll be here when we're dead. Our covenant God has promised to our covenant forefathers. And that same covenant promise is here for us now. And to all who will come, that's why we indiscriminately preach the gospel to all people. Am I a Calvinist? Yes. Because the Bible is a Calvinist document. The Bible says that God doeth as he pleaseth, and that he saveth whom he desireth to save. He showeth mercy on whom he desires to show mercy, and he hardens whom he chooses to harden, and his elect will be redeemed. But we preach to all that a covenant has been offered and made in which God is the sole initiator of that covenant and sustainer of that covenant and keeper of that covenant. That salvation is made available to all who would take it. And all who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's why we preach indiscriminately to all. Because the Word of God has been the same since it existed thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We have confidence in a God who has spoken, and spoken authoritatively. Third and last, covenant consummation. This is verses nine through eleven. O Zion, that bring us good tidings, get thee up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift up, lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. This can be translated either, O Zion, that bring us good tidings, or O Zion, bring good tidings, or bring good tidings to Zion. Same for the phrase, the clause about Jerusalem. Who is to be hearing this glad tidings? Who is to be preaching this glad tidings? Zion. Jerusalem, unto the people of Judah. This is covenant comfort through covenant conversion to God's covenant people. So I say to all of you, dear congregation, who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, comfort in Christ, comfort in Christ. Do not be downcast any longer. Though God appears to be judging this country. And the city of God has its walls laid in dust and ash. And the enemy is among us. Yet comfort, comfort, to the heart, to your heart, from God, in Christ, there is comfort. The people of God may rest upon it, may trust that God is sovereignly in control, And that we must work then therefore for him and labor and fight the good fight. Stand up for truth. Stand up for righteousness. Take up the banner of Christ in all things. Because we have comfort. Because we know that he is in complete control. That he will do his work. Lift up thy voice in strength, with strength. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Right now is not the time to back down from preaching the gospel. Right now is the time to stand up and say it even louder. To preach even more ferociously, more tenaciously, more faithfully. As everything from the media on Netflix and the garbage being shoved into our throat, those wicked images... To the wicked acts and deeds of the government. Everywhere around us seems to be wicked and destitute and destroyed. And it's very tempting now when Black Lives Matter terrorists can walk into a church and disrupt it and attack people. It's very, very tempting to just go along with it. Let it pass. It'll be over soon. No, proclaim loudly comfort, covenant comfort in Christ, Jesus Christ, Lord of all, King of kings and Lord of lords, salvation in his name alone. That repentance and faith should be preached in his name is what he commands us. Is what he commands us to do. And now is not the time to back down. Or else, if we choose to be silent, We will be silenced for good. It'll come upon us. The spirit of the Lord, the wind, shall come upon us. And we, as mere grass and flowers, will wither. And our voice will be taken if we offer it freely. What does he end up saying at the end of that? Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. How did Isaiah start in Isaiah 6, the call of Isaiah? Seeing God, beholding God, a greater vision of God. God in the throne room. His train filled the temple. The smoke was round about him. The angels thrice praising him. Holy, holy, holy. And he realized, I'm a man of sinful passions. I dwell amongst the sinful people. My lips are sinful. Their lips are sinful. We are wicked people. Then a coal from the altar is touched to his lips. And he says, the Lord says, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And Isaiah's response, send me, send me, I shall go, I shall go. Behold, your God is the message. As Christians, dear congregation, we must behold our God. So as your minister who can only speak God's words after him, I have nothing else to say or offer. Behold your God. No matter how bad it gets, behold your God. And he gives the reasons why. That is such a comfort right here. In verse 10, behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. So in verses 10, 11, we see a dichotomy, a juxtaposition put forth. God towards the wicked nations and what he shall do in consummation of all things. The eschaton, the last days. And in verse 11, how he operates towards his people. So verse 10, the Lord God will come with a strong hand. He's not responding, dear congregation, to what is happening in this world. He's not wringing his hands, anxiously waiting to see the next move of the nations, the next move of men. No, nor is he responding to man's free will and bowing down to the will of man or unable to respond. No, none of that. Behold, your God, your God comes with a strong arm, with a strong hand. He will do all that he sets out to do. He will accomplish his purposes strongly, devastatingly powerful. No nation can stand against him. No being can stand against him. Satan is a strong man, it says in the Gospels. And that we cannot plunder his house unless he is first bound. Satan might be strong and subtle and powerful. But God is stronger, and his assault shall not be repelled by the gates of hell. The gates of hell, Satan's power and armies... And devices shall not be able to withstand the onslaught of the gospel. Just won't. So we can trust in this. Behold your God. Your God is a God of all power who will no longer put up with wickedness. Who will one day do away with all wickedness. And has set nations high and laid them low time and time and time again. So again, in this nation, those churches that are apostatizing, Those churches that are preaching heresy, the government that has turned against all morality, turned against the law of God, shall not stand. He comes with a strong arm, strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. He is the Lord now. We don't make him Lord. He does rule, and he shall rule. There is one ruler. As we saw last week in Romans 13, all rulers are appointed by the one ruler. Anyone who has any power on this earth was appointed by God, who is the sole sovereign over all things. His reward is with him, meaning he's going to repay the wicked with wickedness. They're not going to get out of this. I'm sure many of you have been asked this, and I've been asked this many times as a pastor and a preacher. Why does God allow Satan and the wicked to run rampant? Why doesn't he punish them? And I say, he shall. He shall. All sin will be paid for. All sin will require an answer, a recompense, a payment. The wicked shall not stand forever. That shall be laid low in his sight, and his work is before him, that verse ends. Meaning he has a decree. He has a work that he shall do, and it shall be done. You cannot stop it. You cannot change God's mind. He is not a man that he should repent. If God sets out to destroy Israel, it shall be done. But he will also lay bare Cyrus and turn him back and, re- and bring back the remnant of the people of Israel back into Jerusalem, back into the land. Again, that's the context, the immediate historical context. But notice verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. And he shall gather the lambs with his arm. He shall carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those. That are with young. Towards the wicked nations, towards the apostate churches, fire, judgment against their wicked rebellion. But towards us as people, as covenant people, we behold our God and we don't just see a fiery Mount Sinai of Allah before us, but we see comfort. We see a gracious and tender and loving Savior. How great that the hand that comforts us, is also the hand that defends us. The strong arm of the Lord that cannot and shall not be repelled or conquered or defeated is also the hand that tenderly leads his lambs. He is the good shepherd. Christ, our covenant God, is the good shepherd. He leads his people. None shall pluck any one of us who believe out of his hand. He will beat back and slay any wolf who enters the sheepfold. He is our tender and loving God who provides for us, giving us his word as food, his spirit as comfort and guidance, his blood as our ransom. This is the comfort that we are given, not in anything else, but in Jesus alone. If we take nothing away, including myself, From this sermon, we must behold our God. We must be on the lookout as watchmen for what is going on around us. But we can only be effective watchmen if we behold our God. If we behold our God. If we see him in his power to defeat evil, clean the evil that lies within us. And his even greater power to tenderly care for us, the sheep of his pasture. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we once again come before thee. Lord, we thank thee for thy power, thy grace, thy mercy. Apply thy word to our heart. Lead us in paths of righteousness. We thank thee, Jesus, in your name. Amen.